the first 11 verses. Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Once you have that, look up, and uh, it is in your bulletin. And we read from the English Standard Version, if you want to read along with that. Good. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will see a donkey and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks anything to you, you shall ask, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble, and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. And most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the ground. And others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he'd entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who's this? And the crowds said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, now open this scripture to us. May we see the wonder of it. May we see the wonder of your Christ, your wisdom and the timing of this, the fulfillment of your word that cannot be broken. And let us wonder and let us adore and let us rejoice for Christ has come, and we are merry. We pray through Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. I, I don't know if any of you have been at a, an unveiling, especially of, of, a, of, a, of a sculpture. The unveiling of a museum is, is done on the occasion of the first presentation of a, of a work of art, and not just a mere work of art, but something that is really quite significant. A wonderful statue. First time ever released in public. And it's an awesome event, and people are wondering, am I going to like it? Am I going to even appreciate it? And the authorities are there. Maybe the sculptor is there. And, and they, they take uh, the, the, the blanket, the cloak off, and there you see uh, the piece of work. And everyone applauds. There's champagne, I guess. And, uh, and uh, there's a celebration. We have something of this here. I, I say something of it because it's, it's in part, we, we're not going to see the full unveiling. You who know the Bible know that the full unveiling awaits the coming of the Lord Jesus, his second coming. And then, that is the last act of the Father in glorifying the Lord Jesus. The thing that remains is to glorify Jesus in all the nations, in front of angels and all men that have ever lived, as the judge of all flesh. And that will be the fullest unveiling. 
We see that already declared, however, in the book of Revelation. That's why, it call, that's why it's called the apocalypse, is the parting of the curtains, as it were. We get to see uh, a preview. The last week of Jesus' life here in Jerusalem is a, a partial unveiling. It's a partial apocalypse. And of those of you, again, who know your Bible, know that whenever we get into the last things and uh, a revealing and unfolding of the last things, we get to see a lot of symbology. We see a lot of uh, unusual uh, presentations uh, of things coming into fulfillment and images. And we're going to see plenty of that as we see Jesus now, the day of his passion, the day of his cross, approaching. We're going to see more and more. We're going to see, as it were, a, a first course, and again, pardon my, my, my Greek, it's, it's a first course in eschatology. It's a first course in the study of the last things, because Jesus is the second Adam, or the, the last man, as you were. And so that's what we're going to see. We're going to see this in increasing, in increasing measure uh, as, we, as we approach his death, burial, and resurrection for Jesus is the new creation. He is the new and everlasting temple, and he is the, our, our, our final dwelling place. So that's why the, the language is here, the sneak previews, the uncloaking is, is coming about. The teaching here this morning is this, that near his last public appearance, this is Jesus' last week on earth, near his last public appearance, Jesus was greatly celebrated in Jerusalem as the son of David the promised king and the deliverer of Israel and the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. He was celebrated. He was celebrated greatly in Jerusalem, the most important city in all Judea, to a Jew especially, where the the feasts were held and the temple resided. Uh, That was the Lord's beloved city. Uh, He was celebrated as the son of David, and that promised king and deliverer of Israel, and the prophet. Just two points. I hope it's not too much of a strain, but we, increasingly as we get through the, the week of Jesus here in Jerusalem, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be uh, more and more difficult. I, in fact, I, I just worked on a sermon last, uh, uh, last week that I'm going to have to divide it into. The imagery is so, is so very, very packed, but I hope that... Uh, to, to whet your appetite there about all the, the wonder uh, that is portrayed here in Jesus as he's coming to his own. The first point of the sermon is this, that Jesus strengthened his disciples. He wanted to encourage them. Um, he, he needed to, as it were, build them up for what was coming up, just as I'm doing right now. I'm building you up for something that's quite complicated <laughs> and, uh, and will stretch your faith. And these disciples' faith is going to be very, very stretched, very tried. Jesus strengthened his disciples by displaying, uh, he giving them a sign of his divinity, uh, of his divine foreknowledge. And he did this uh, 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 by sending two of his disciples, unnamed, in the Bible passage, but they were sent into Beth, uh, into Bethphage, or just before Jerusalem, with very specific instructions. They were to go in there and they would observe, according to Jesus' <laughs> prophecy here, a donkey and her, her colt, her whole foal. And they were not just that, but they would be together and they would be tied. Okay, a lot of detail to this prophecy. And both were to be brought to the Lord 
And, uh, you know, the, loaner, the, the owner, if he is, would say, hey, what's going on? You know, because these beasts are, are his, they're work animals. He's going to need them. And, uh, and, but the Lord is Lord of all. And Jesus predicts and gives the word to his disciples that the owner would oblige. That, that's that's going to be okay. And this is precisely what has occurred. Now, uh, this is not Jesus showing off, okay? Uh, but it must be said that prophets never, ever miss. <laughs> they, will, they will hit 100% bullseye with every arrow that flies. And this is exactly what he is, again, instilling in his disciples. He is anticipating not only finding the colt and the donkey, but Jesus is anticipating everything that's going to happen in this week. It's going to be a wild ride from celebration to, uh, to, to a, a, com a complete uh, obscuring of justice and mismanagement, most cruel vengeance and hatred and death. It's going to be, in the next seven days, it's, it's going to be atrocious. But this prophet knows it all. He sees it all. He knows. And he wants his disciples, and he wants you to know and be confirmed that this was done with purpose and with love and with triumph in mind. Jesus specifically chose these beasts of burden, and he chose these particular animals rather than the magnificent animals of kings and those who triumph at war. Chargers, you know, the special horses and white horses trained uh, for military purpose and for parades. And chariots, a splendor of technology and the comfort of kings as they ride in uh, yeah, with, with ease, with, with great speed. No, Jesus chose these because of his character and specifically because of the character of his reign. This is a symbolic act and it's a, it's a sign and it's the first of three very significant uh, signs, symbolic acts that he will do as uh, his, as the king, as the king of Jerusalem. You know how it is with presidents. Once they assume office, the first hundred days are very important, but it, everyone wonders, what's going to be his first act? And the first act of a, of a sitting president in the United States is usually, usually symbolic of the tenor of the rest of his administration. He's going to be a clement. He's going to be merciful. He's going to release, he's going to pardon this guy. He's going to um, take up this special uh, concern for, for this needy population who has suffered devastation, etc. It, it announces, as it were, the rest of his work. And this is what he's doing. He's, he's showing forth his character because he who, in his sermons, said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, the humble, broken spirit. He is the one who is most blessed in everything that he laid down in his preaching. He is the servant king. And he knew that the time of his sacrifice was coming. He had been preaching the cross already and to the dismay and confusion of, of his disciples. But you can imagine the, the rest of the Jews. Uh, but that's exactly what he came to do. Jesus had held back all this time in the Gospel of Matthew. He had held back the overt, the public, open public uh, announcement and open proclamation of his kingship. But in this event, as he rides forth, 
and as especially as the people see its significance, again, it's a symbolic act, he is owning publicly and acknowledging, yes, that's right. He is the king, and he's come according to his character and according to scripture. Now note, uh, for those of you who have studied a little bit of history, uh, Alexander the Great uh, died a young man. I think he died at the age of 33, maybe even younger. But he had conquered the world by the, t by the time he was about 28, 28 or 29. Nothing else left to do but, you know, go to the moon and the rocket hadn't been invented yet. So uh, he is there uh, pretty much depressed because you can imagine having done everything, there's nothing else left to do. But he was very pompous and his army uh, attempted attempted entrance into Jerusalem because of the situation it was just a, of, of the city geographically it was just a little bit off the main road of what you might call the king's highway a thoroughfare from uh, all of uh, the near east uh, uh, and asia and, and into africa uh, that's that's the the peninsula there uh, where palestine and all that is and and it was strategic to his to his further missions in africa but he uh, was was set to enter with his pompous chargers and with his chariots and with thousands and ten thousands of soldiers. It would have been an easy little city to, to take. Eh, it's just Jerusalem. Oh yeah, they've got a walled city and all that, but it's nothing compared to Assyria. It's nothing compared uh, to other places that they've already conquered. Uh, but even his armies were providentially turned back. But you know what? The humble Jesus, the servant king, the one destined to enter his own, he entered in without a fight. He entered in in peace. And that's, my friends, the way Jesus gains Jerusalem, not with sword, but with his own blood, by laying down his life and not taking the life of the others. We have, of course, this as a fulfillment of Scripture written in the 6th century before Christ, anticipating this glad, glad event. It is gospel, every bit of gospel in the Old Testament. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And Zion, of course, is that, that idealized uh, mount of God in Jerusalem. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous, having salvation, humble, and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, that is precisely with, with, with exacting uh, measure what has happened here. Now, the disciples, of course, would remember this sign in the coming trials of their faith. Uh, because they would lose their beloved teacher. And uh, they would remember uh, this sign in Jesus' imminent trial, his execution, his death, and burial. Jesus' divine foreknowledge knew the certainty of all things. And of course, as a pious Jew, he was absolutely convinced of the infallibility of the Word of God. Now, we've got so many experts that know way, way, way much more than Jesus and they love to pick apart the scriptures. And oh no, this couldn't possibly happen. It's humanly impossible to predict anything with this kind of exactitude. 
Not a God for God, all things are possible. And really, no one can really believe in God as God unless we know that he does these things and he does these things with ease. He's God, and there's no one like him. And his word reflects all that God is. It is inerrant. Jesus' divine foreknowledge knew all of these things, and he knew the suffering that was coming. And the disciples would eventually understand that all this was done by the, the, the exact decree and purpose, uh, the express intent and will of God the Father. They would come, they would come to realize, but for now, you know, when we don't understand something, what we are to do is to trust. When we don't understand how this thing is going forward, what, what, is going, what is going on with my marriage? What is going on with my teacher in this classroom? What kind of a, what kind of a teacher, what, what kind of a school is this? What kind of a church am I in? What, where is this church going? <sighs> Look, we need to be as weaned child, a weaned child. We need to be as, a, as, a, in, as in the bosom of the Lord and wait on the Lord and don't consider things that are higher than us because these things will eventually come to us. The, the things that we need to know, we'll learn in time. But for now, we believe, we trust, and we wait on the Lord. That's the trial. And we have sufficient reason to do so because the Word of God stands. Now, the disciples would be strengthened and they would be kept from utter despair um, while Jesus rested uh, there, lay in the grave three days, okay? My friends, your knowledge of Scripture, especially, my friends, the Old Testament, as it is fulfilled in the, in the New, all of the promises and all of the types and symbols, this is what gives you strength and courage and certitude, assurance and hope in all your trials. Yes, by the knowledge of God's pure word that you will see things that are invisible. Yeah, you will see the perfection of that statue in the museum even before it is uncloaked. You'll see its outline, perhaps. You'll see maybe part of the, the base and the footage of the thing, but you'll see that there is sufficient evidence for you because by faith, you have the certainty of things hoped for. And so you read your Bible and you know your Bible. And in fact, uh, in good measure, when all of Jerusalem saw this man, Jesus, the prophet of Galilee, uh, prophet of Nazareth in Galilee, you know, they put the two and two together. They, uh, they, these, people, these people ate the scriptures morning, noon, and, and evening. Uh, they, they knew greatly that this was an, uh, an extant promise. This was still to be realized and that they would rejoice greatly and that's precisely what they did. They saw the sign and rejoiced. And so my friends, whatever you read in the scripture, believe all things with thanks and, and hope all things. And you know what that's called, right? Faith and hope and love. And that's where we abide. We abide in these three things until Christ is presented in all of his glory at the last day when he judges angels and saints and devils on the very last day. So Jesus then strengthened his disciples with this very clear sign according to his divine foreknowledge. The second point is that, Jesus, uh, that Jerusalem celebrated Jesus of Nazareth 
as their king and as their promised deliverer. Not just a king, but they knew what the, the office of king implied. Okay, we still have a notion of this in our head. We, we <laughs> the, the notion still remains. We, believe it or not, uh, it can be taken advantage of. But we all have hope that the next administration elected to office will benefit us in some way and spare us some misery in this life. I, no one's, I mean, none of you are looking for absolute deliverance and the assuring in of the utopia. I, I hope not. If not, let's just have some coffee this week or something. But, but you know, it, is, it pertains to leaders to protect and to benefit and to deliver and to save. And that office is still seen in our elected officials, but with the office of king in Israel especially, do we see that that is very much in the package being presented here before Jerusalem. Jerusalem celebrated Jesus of Nazareth as their king and their, and the promise, their promise deliverer. The large crowd correctly acknowledged they, they had acumen. Those that could see, not everyone, but they, those that could see, could see well what this sign meant, the symbolic act meant. And they, Zechariah 9, verse 9, came into, into focus in their minds. And furthermore, we have this beautiful psalm. Now, uh, you talk about a, a, a diet of, of Bible, uh, the best diet uh, of Bible that anyone could ever have is the Psalms, because the Psalms will, it will rehearse all of the history of, of, of Israel, all of the promises of God. They're all there. They, it has teaching of law. It has teaching of, of grace. It has everything. And here in Psalm 118, uh, they, they see, again, they calls to remember, it calls to remembrance, the magnificent entrance of the promised deliverer. Psalm 118, verse 24, 25, and 26. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And then we have the petition. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Now, we're going to get into the last phrase of that in the coming week because he's immediately going to go to the house of the Lord and he's going to, uh, well, he's going to purge a lot. He's going to cleanse a lot of things in the house. But there you have it, Psalm 118. Now, those who uh, have been singing this psalm all of their lifetime, they would have had this thing easily within their grasp and seen the significance, the symbolic act of Jesus. The large crowd then gave a ceremonial welcome. Uh, out comes the champagne, right? This was a, a tremendous welcome to their king. The disciples were the leaders, and they gave an example of what they were doing. They took off their own cloaks, and they gave it up as, a, again, a symbolic act of, of love uh, and uh, in support. Uh, they're spreading the cloaks on, on, the, on the donkey and the tree branches on the road before Jesus, making his way plain and remembrance of, uh, of what John the Baptist says, you know, uh, make every, give him a wide berth. Every mountain will be laid plain, every hill exalted. Let's smooth out the entrance 
for the one who's coming. And that's the idea here. Jesus finally reveals himself, and he does not repudiate. He, he does not uh, uh, rebuke people for calling him their king. And indeed, he, he was that, and he still remains that. He is the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God. To him be praise forever. Now, it would be his last week in the flesh. And so this is kind of a compressed week, okay? Uh, lots of things are coming to a head here, and it's going to be a fast uh, ride in a little red sports car as we hug the curves to understand exactly what's happening up here because much, much of the, of the, the doctrine, the theology of the later epistles depends on this week. Well, anyway, I'm very excited to preach it. Um, the crowd informed others. Because the question was, uh, who is, who's this? Who's this? Some could not identify Jesus. <laughs> look, look at the format. Look, the format is one of question and answer. Those of you who are Presbyterian and died in the wool, Presbyterian will recognize that's a catechism, that's a catechism question. The, the people are being catechized. Oh, it's, that's the best way to clarify as one's thinking. You ask a question. That's what disciples always did. Even Jesus asked of Peter, who am I? And Peter says, well, you're the Christ. Well, that's catechism. Back and forth, question and answer. Some saw it, and they catechized the others. They answered antiphonally, this is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. All right. That's the lesson of that day as the, as the procession ensued. Now, the processing crowds partially understood. They partially understood the significance of the prophecy. They knew that this was cause for celebration. Now, the, it would be very difficult for everyone to, I mean, no one, I mean, the Lord knew, but no one else understood precisely all the ramifications here. But they knew this. They knew that Jesus, the king, would save them. That's why he came. That's what kings do. Kings protect, they deliver, they save. And they were hoping, as we... <laughs> often very do, would hope for a, a political solution and not an easement. I mean, this is not about, okay, let's, let's switch from red to blue and, and blue to red. No, that's not that. And this is the kingdom promised to David, all right? Um, and so they were certainly thinking of deliverance from Rome as a vassal state. But rightly so, what the king does and what the judges of Israel consistently did was delivered from every enemy. And it had been a long time, well, since the Babylonian captivity, that Israel had the kinds of judges that would have authority from God to deliver completely. Okay? And I mean, I mean a complete salvation from everything. Everything that can be named, but especially from the heavy burdens of false teachers who uh, would lay burdens on the people and um, had converted a religion that was most gracious. If you read the Old Testament properly, you're going to see that this is a covenant of grace administered very, very graciously that God was saving people under that old administration. But they took that arrangement and they, they, they fouled it up and they converted it into a religion of works and a boasting of the flesh. In other words, when, when the Lord says, 
here's a gift. The, the, the Jews would say, okay, what do I owe you? You know, what, what price? Well, how much money? And no, the Lord says, south, go, go south, young man. And, and, and they go north. It, it's just a following up, a complete following up, a messing up of all that God had entrusted to them. They never believed, they never believed Moses and the prophets. Don't you dare go around thinking that the Jews obeyed Moses too much. And that was what their problem was. They were all law. Yeah, they never believed Moses. They never believed the prophets. They never believed the commandments. Let's just settle that. All right? The processing crowds understood some of the significance. Jesus would save them. Not only from Rome as a vassal state, but from every, every enemy. False teachers, corrupt Sadducees, all that. Those were all bribed officials, corrupt officials. And they knew that Jesus was, Christ, was the Messiah. They gave him the Messianic title. And Jesus is now claimed publicly as the son of David. Now David's line, the, 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 the genealogy of David, had no sitting king since about the 6th century. Okay, that's, that's a long time for Israel to be waiting for their king. Yeah, 600 years. The Davidic covenant, uh, which we haven't studied in detail here ever, but uh, that was a conditional covenant. It depended, the, the blessing was extraordinary that a son of David would sit on his throne forever. And he would never lack a son on the throne to rule over Israel forever, which of course include, I mean, that promise would, would, cert, was, uh, would guarantee a, a, a king, but a king never reigns alone, so it would guarantee an Israel. And of course the people would rejoice in that Davidic covenant, but it was conditioned upon the obedience of the son of David. But you know what? Even though that covenant had seemed to have utterly failed. The memory of the promise was distant. People had almost grown, as it were, uh, immune to even hope. They had got, become callous, thinking that the, such a possibility was even uh, still there. But, the, but uh, the Davidic covenant had not failed. In a very, very surprising move, Jesus is now appeared as that son of David. Suddenly, after 600 years, and this covenant would be fulfilled, not in Israel uh, as uh, the true and obedient son, and not on any other leader at all, uh, even of the highly privileged, highly schooled authorities of the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the scribes and the lawyers. No, all would be disqualified as sinners, but Jesus no, Jesus was that perfect son. And we see this, uh, again, from Scripture. Uh, we see it in Jeremiah 23. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Uh, again, uh, that promise was given in an extraordinarily wicked day where Israel was apostate. They had, they had fallen away and worshipped idols, and yet the Lord continues to wait upon his people patiently, forbearing with their faults, not breaking, not breaking his covenant with them. 
in Jeremiah's day. Again, uh, near to Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel 37, 24. My servant David shall be king over them, and they shall have all one shepherd, and they shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. The Lord will set his king upon Zion, even in the midst of his enemies, Psalm 2. And he will have a people. He will be guaranteed a church sealed in the covenant with his own blood, delivered to the Father. And that's why we're here, because of the certainty of God's, uh, the Father's promise to give Jesus a people on behalf of his sufferings, for he is king of a people. And that's why they're shouting now, save us, Hosanna. And this is what kings do. They save um, and they bless the coming deliverer, which is a way of praising Jesus is the blessed promise one. And they, this is a, a public worship and adulation and adoration of Jesus. And Jesus, furthermore, they claim but in their own mouths that, they, that he comes in the name of the Lord. I, 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 I'll just abbreviate it very quickly. This is charged. This is a charged title. He who comes in the name of the Lord. But let me just abbreviate and say that he does this to fulfill all that God is. And because God is a certain thing, namely righteous and, and just and, and faithful and all that, it's a fulfillment of God's will. That's what it means to come in the name of the Lord. Now they affirm that Jesus' coming meant salvation and not merely to Israel. Look, look, what, look what is said here. Now they don't understand <laughs> the full. They, there's no way. I, I would wager my house right now that, that anybody here really understood the salvation of the, of the Pharisees and Sadducees and all this. Uh, that anybody understood that the salvation was to, to include uh, to the uttermost. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the, the highest. That is to say what, uh, what was uh, said in the early days of Jesus' infancy where uh, uh, it was said that Jesus would bring peace on earth uh, and goodwill, but the hosannas reached to the, to, the, to the heavens. The heavens were declaring peace. This event is cosmic. Uh, this event includes all of the created order. Even heaven is the created order of God. God did not in, inhabit the heaven, uh, his heavens eternally. Heaven itself is a creation of God. But even this event here, Hosanna on the highest, the, the, the significance of Jesus' salvation will bridge heaven and earth. Heaven will be affected by Jesus' uh, uh, death, burial, and resurrection here. That, that's right. He saves to the uttermost, to the highest height. Now Jerusalem uh, knew it needed a king. Uh, the, the Lord in his providence pressed them to this. Through uh, humility and humiliation, they were a vassal state of Rome. They were not independent. They had to endure taxation. They had to endure tribute. They couldn't just do whatever they wanted. And, and especially as the Romans were considered Gentiles and, and unclean, how would you like an unclean thing over your head? Uh, we're used to, in, Americans, in America here, we're, we're used to having liberty. And we say, you know, give me liberty or give me death. Well, there was no option here for the Jews, okay? They had to endure this. Do you understand then that Jesus is the promised one 
who would accomplish re redemption. For that, you have to read more than this passage. For this, you have to read the gospel and maybe other gospels, and you need to be acquainted with the Old Testament and how it's anticipating all these things. But it's a solid, solid case, a solid, solid presentation with certainty. And those who seek will find this, those who seek with a pure heart. Do you believe this? And uh, if you don't, know, just go ahead and review, study these, uh, these symbolic acts of Jesus here, especially Zechariah 9, Psalm 118, uh, Jeremiah 23, Ezekiel uh, 37. Study these things with good commentaries, and uh, they, these things will help you. Now, let me conclude the teaching. Jesus was greatly celebrated in Jerusalem as the son of David, the promised king and deliverer, and uh, the prophet from Nazareth. Uh, Jesus knows then how to strengthen you as you wait patiently for his complete salvation. Uh, when you believed you were saved, you continue now to be saved, and you will be saved to the uttermost at his final appearing. My friend, Jesus came to us, remember. No one makes him king. This is not by popular decree. The Lord has anointed his, his king, his Christ, his Messiah. And it is the Lord who gives us Jesus as a gift. Only he is wise enough to give us just the leader, just the ruler that we need. He is king and he is Lord of all. Our job is to see this, to be convinced of it, and to come humbly before him and to bow and to adore and to receive all that he has for us. And if we do that, of course, he will give us his best gift, and that is he will give us his favor. He will give us himself. That's the communion table we're about to receive. Has King Jesus come to you? Have you welcomed him cheerfully? Or is this something that you're doing to avoid hell? I know, listen, it's a great idea to avoid hell. I'm not, I'm not saying, to, please don't try to avoid hell. What I'm saying is, beyond that, Jesus is much, much more than anger or fear control. All right. He, he is here to sanctify you. He is here to perfect all your affections as uh, he redeems you completely, mind, body, and soul. And he will present uh, you perfect before the Father on his last day, completely without spot or blemish. It's his job as your ruler, your king, as it's his, it's his office today as a prophet to continue to send you his spirit and his word that you might understand the will of God. All right. Jesus now has ascended. Having gone through this week, having suffered at the hands of ungodly men, having died the death of the wicked on the cross in the place of wicked sinners as a substitute, having been buried and shamefully, shamefully enduring uh, that death and that hatred of sinners now has been gloriously resurrected, now is in splendor. And now angels and the souls of righteous men, they see him for what he really is, the splendid king, the, the, the majesty uh, 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 of, of the king of kings and angels, the, the mightiest and most burning seraphs, uh, blush to, to see and regard the face of this one who is the divine son of God, and they cover their faces.
as it were, not worthy, the holy angels. And this is the one that has loved you, and this is the one that has given himself to you to protect you, to deliver you into his kingdom, to bring you into an estate of blessing, and to utterly, utterly save you at an extreme cost, the most precious gift that could ever be given by God, his own son, his own life. And are you then in love? Are you willing to even embarrass yourself in the streets and shout Hosanna to the highest? Let's receive our Lord with all full hearts and gratitude. And the exercise this morning is perfect for this. He comes to us in a, in a special way. I'm not going to explain the theology of the sacrament. But he comes to us in a spiritual way and in a real living way in the bread and in the wine that's consecrated as a sign and seal of his favor, of his agreement to be yours forever. And if your heart chimes and resonates with that, and if your heart welcomes that, and you have been baptized, and you have declared that in the streets, Hosanna, at least in the church, <laughs> to your elders, then you are, my friends, a worthy recipient. Let's call for the elders and come forward, please, for the Lord's table. institution. This is, this is a, an ordinance. That is to say, uh, a means of grace that God has established for us in Jesus in the days of his flesh as a, a token uh, for, of his authority and as a, a token of his good pleasure towards his people. And uh, as such, it's here to strengthen you. It's not here to condemn you. It's here to fortify you. Uh, and to uh, give you real spiritual food for the trial of this day and the trial of this week. And this is why we dare not shun the Lord's table. We should look at it eagerly because the Lord, in a special way, has promised to meet with us here. Reading from 1 Corinthians 11 again, I, Paul says, I received from the Lord Jesus what I delivered to you, Corinthians, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread, and he, when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And you do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here's, here's your prophetic office here, Christians. You're... By receiving this, you're proclaiming to the angels that are ever present with us, to the watching world, 
you are God's witnesses. You proclaim the Lord's death. And not only that is finality, but he is coming back. He will return. That's a good thing to remember on the day one of a new year. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body. In other words, this is not just ordinary. This is, this is a holy table. This is a holy meal. This is not a secular event. It's a time. It's a, it's a holy. It's out of time. It's not secular. This is the very portal and gate of heaven. This is Christ. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill. Some of you have died. But if we were judged, if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. For when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The Lord, even when we make atrocious, atrocious mistakes and crimes, he'll forbear with the Christian. You are utterly saved. He is your king. Let's pray. Now, Lord, we give you the honor and the glory, and we thank you that you remember us always, and we thank you that we can remember you through such ordinary means in the church as this sacrament. We pray that it would indeed be holy. So we pray that you would consecrate the bread and the wine to your special purpose. And may it, Lord, be truly a, a spiritual blessing in the Lord. May you visit us. May we know that you uh, have come to us as you have promised. And so confirm all your promises and reaffirm all that you have sealed to us in Christ in this meal. We love you for it. We know that you love us. And so we ask in Jesus. Amen.
Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed in the upper room with his friends. Took bread. And taking the bread, he broke the bread, he gave it to his disciples and said, this bread is my body, and my body is given for you. As often as you eat, remember. Remember. 